as, as we think about the church, we know that Jesus is sovereign over the church. We looked last week at the fact that he is the head of the church. He is sovereign over the church. He's the savior of the church. That Christ died for the church and he gave his life for her. And Jesus is the shepherd of the church. He is the the good shepherd who gave his life for the church. He's the great shepherd who leads and guides the church. And one day he will show himself as the chief shepherd as he comes back for the church. But when we think about Jesus giving his life for the church and Jesus leading to the church, uh, 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 Jesus leading the church, we recognize the church is not primarily about a building. A lot of times when we, when we say, I'm going to church, we're referencing, I'm going to a church building. The church has nothing to do with buildings. In, in Jesus' day, it had no connotation to a building at all. The picture is, is that the church is a people. It is a body. It is a community. It is a family. It is a flock. And as we think of Jesus as the head of the body, that means we, as his body, have certain things that we should be fulfilling in our life and in the life through our church. So take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse number 18. Colossians 1, 18. Colossians 1.18 says this, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. We are that body. And with that, let's pray together. Lord, speak to us today, and I pray that you would challenge us uh, with our heart and commitment to you and to the church that we would understand the importance that you place upon the church. In your name we pray. Amen. I want you to picture with me this morning a a little uh, girl. She's she's an orphan. She has no parents. She's in an impoverished uh, nation in the world and has basically nothing. She has no family. She has very little provision and very little care going on for her in her life. She feels isolated and alone, barely having enough of sustenance to get by, and she is there just eking out through life. But then picture this. Mr. and Mrs. Johnson decide that they're going to go adopt a baby girl or a little girl. So they hop in an airplane, and they fly uh, across the ocean, and they land in this country, and they're escorted and brought down to uh, a little shanty orphanage, and there they set their affections on this little girl, and we'll, we'll name her Ruth. This little girl named Ruth. And they see her, that she's just barely squeaking by, physically, emotionally, struggling. And they go and they say, we, we want Ruth. We would like to adopt Ruth. They pay the fees. They do all that needs to be done. They do all the paperwork. They do all of the work. And then they go up to this little girl and they say, 
Ruth, would, would you like to come and live with us and our family? Would you like to be adopted? And she says, yes. And at that moment, they say, hey, from now on, your name is going to be Ruth Johnson. You are adopted into our family. We're signing the papers right here, right now. And we have new clothes for you and new shoes for you and and a bow to put in your hair. And we want you to know that from now on, you can call us dad and mom. She's just amazed. They escort her back and they get her to the airport and she's sitting there on a, on a bench and someone says, hey, little girl, what's your name? And she looks over at her new parents and says, my name is Ruth Johnson. She has a new family. They fly her across the ocean. They get back to the airport and they put her in their car, which is so much nicer than anything that she has ever seen before. They take her down some windy roads and they pull into a subdivision that that has nice homes and they pull into a a driveway where there's green grass and there's a swing set and and a bicycle sitting out in the front and they, they bring her up and she has never seen a house like this before. Never the even the thought of living in one. And they bring her to the door and they open the door and they say, Welcome home. And as soon as the other Johnson children hear that mom and dad are home and there's a new child that they've adopted, everyone starts coming from different rooms of the house and they're running down steps and they're coming up steps and they're coming from different rooms. And and they're saying, hey, welcome to our family. We're so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome. She has the opportunity now to see these siblings around her and to live with them and eat with them and play with them and grow with them. They are so excited to see her. But Ruth's demeanor changes. Her face turns to a scowl. She looks at all of those other siblings and things. And she walks back out the door, slams the door behind her, and walks out into the street. Mr. and Mrs. Johnson are floored. I mean, this is, this is not what we expected. This is unbelievable. How could she react in this way? And they go out and say, Ruth, baby, what's wrong? What if she said something like this? I wanted you to adopt me but I don't want any brothers or sisters. You would think, what? What is she thinking? That she would want to be adopted, but she wouldn't want a family to hang with, to grow with, to eat with, to live with, to play with, to have as friends? You say, buddy, that just sounds unfathomable. Really? The Bible tells us that Jesus left the glories of heaven and stepped into humanity and entered into a darkened, sinful world. 
and died on the cross and provided salvation. And at the moment of salvation, we are adopted into the Father's family. Jesus has saved us. We're completely forgiven of all of our sin. Our name's written in heaven. We're reconciled to God. We're in a right relationship with God now. Everything has changed. But listen carefully. At the moment of salvation, when we are reconciled to God, the story doesn't end there. For we are also reconciled to each other. So that as believers, we would be brothers and sisters in a new family. The picture is, is just as this little girl says, I don't want to have brothers and sisters. There are many who say, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. If you look at the New Testament, we find the church is really important. That the letters of Paul to the church give us much of our foundation of theology. That the priority that the Lord placed on the church in Matthew 16, where he said, I will build my church, stands out front and center as Jesus shows the role of the church and he says that the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. But there are many today who think, you know what, I want God, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. The two don't seem to reconcile. That once we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we are not only saved from sin, but we are saved into a new family, a new body, a new community, a group of believers. So that the New Testament knows nothing of a believer who is not connected to a local church. Now, I realize the last year has been uh, a little crazy, that for the last year we've had folks watching online and, and folks who have come in and we've not had the fellowship and connection and things like that that, that haven't, been, haven't been normal. But, but let me just make something very, very clear to you. That over the next few weeks and months, as more shots get out and, and as this pandemic comes eventually to a close, understand this, that God never meant for you on Sunday morning to make pancakes and stay in your pajamas and watch church on TV. That's not the church. The church is a body of believers who come together. That connection is part of all of this. The mission that the Lord has for us is part of all of this. And the Lord wants to welcome us into a family with brothers and sisters. Some of our brothers and sisters are EGR people. Extra grace required. Not everyone is as pleasant as you. I understand that. And I understand that sometimes the church can, can cause harm, just like families can. But the picture is, is that, and I've been in church all of my life. Have I been hurt in church? Absolutely. But I will tell you, 
the encouragement and support and prayer that I have received in church far outweighs any negative experience that I have shared. I want to challenge you today to think of yourself as a believer, as part of a body that matters. The church is a big deal. So let's think about the church. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 18 tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So last week we talked a lot about Jesus being the head. This week, let's think about we as his body. We're together in this, growing as brothers and sisters in Christ, moving forward. So let's learn some truths and pull out some biblical thoughts on what we as the body are supposed to do. First off, as the body, we share responsibility. As the body, we we have responsibilities that we share together. The first one is this, that we as the body have to stay connected to Christ, our head. Now, we, we think, okay, what, what does that mean? Have you seen a head detached from a body? That's a gruesome picture. That's, that's not a pleasant thought. The picture is, is that the head and the body are to be intact. And yet, John fifteen five tells us this. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If anyone abides in me and I in him, You'll bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. What's Jesus saying? That just as a branch grows off of a vine and bears fruit, that you need to stay connected to me to be fruitful, to experience joyfulness and purpose in life. If you take a vine and separate it from a branch, it's going to do nothing but dry up and be good for nothing. It loses its life. So that as Jesus, as the head of the church, he's not just a CEO who sits off from a distance. Instead, he is the head who gives us life, who energizes us. Not only does he lead us and direct us, he speaks to us through his word. He speaks through the spirit, but he provides life. That's what the head does. We stay connected to Christ. Now, you know that Jesus would have been put on the cross around 30 AD. And as Jesus was put on on the cross and and died, we know that uh, later, just a a few weeks later, came the day of Pentecost when the church was born. So we're looking in the early 30, you know, AD-ish time. Sixty years after the church had had its very beginning. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus writes to a church at Laodicea. And he says this in Revelation 3, 14 through 21. He says, you know what? You as a church, you're not hot and passionate for me. And you're not cold. You haven't closed your doors and, and, and closed up shop. Instead, you're just lukewarm. You're half-hearted. You're going through the motions. And then he gives this horrific picture in Revelation three twenty. Jesus says this. Now, he, we use this a lot of times to talk about our own individual life, but Jesus uses this verse in talking to the church. And he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, or anyone hears me and, and will receive me or open the door, I will come into him and, and have fellowship with him and he with me. Now, do you get this picture? 
The church at Laodicea, they had church services. They had someone probably stand up and preach. They probably had somebody lead in music. They probably had Bible studies that were going on. They probably were ministering to each other uh, through, through the week, and they were doing all of these things. But do you notice where Jesus is? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is not in the church. He gives the picture that he is outside the church. That's the picture. They were going through all the motions, but they had lost the energy and passion and priority of Jesus. And as we look at the priority of Jesus, that's our, the, the second thought on this as we, our responsibility. We not only come to the place where we have to stay connected to the, to the head, Jesus Christ, but then we exalt Christ. Notice at the end of verse number 18, because at the end, verse number 18, it says that in all things, he, Jesus, may have the preeminence, that Jesus is the priority, that it's all about Jesus. We don't have church just because they've had church for 2,000 years. We don't have church because it's been a good tradition. We don't have church because it makes us feel good to come. We are about exalting Jesus. That's the point of the church. That means that, that we're, we're not to take praise as, as, as those who lead in worship and those who teach great classes or those who preach. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's about exalting Christ, that in everything Jesus may be exalted, that in everything Jesus may have the preeminence, that he's the priority, that he is the one that is front and center and key and the head and the cornerstone of the church. It's all about Jesus. Now, let me just tell you, when we start talking about Jesus, the world doesn't much care for that. When you tell people that Jesus said, I am the way, the way, not a good way, not even the best way, but the one and only way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Understand that the world, they're, they're going to think you're way too exclusive. That, that only one way? What about all of these other people that are sincere out there? When, when you say uh, our focus is on Jesus and the truth that the Scripture teaches us, look over in Colossians chapter 2. You're in Colossians 1.18. Look over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. It says in Colossians 2, 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay, they've received Christ. They've been saved. So walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now notice verse number eight. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. The same thing that was happening in the first century is happening in the 21st century. Understand that there are those who, who have principles and traditions, and they say, look, it's, it's not only Jesus, there's lots of ways to God. Look, I mean, we can, we can have a culture take a vote, and if it's legal, then it's moral. But what does the scripture say? It tells us that we are to be rooted up and built up in the faith. That means that when we look at scripture, we look at everything through the lens of that scripture because it's not about our popularity and culture. It's about preeminent Christ in our church. 
so that if they don't like the message, then they can reject the message. But the truth is, is Jesus is first. We don't bow to the culture. We don't bend to the culture. We don't give in to the culture when they teach us anything different from what God's word says. So that when the Bible says that life is precious in Psalm 139 and and that the Lord says, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I, or David says, before the Lord formed me in the womb, he knew me. The Lord looks at life as absolutely precious. That's, That's the way it is. Life's precious because that's a basic truth of the faith. That's the message. We're walking rooted and built up in the faith. So understand that as we say yes to Jesus and we say no to culture, we're not going to win popularity contests. I was reading something this week and they said, don't Christians know that they have already lost the cultural wars concerning human sexuality. Which basically means, hey, the rest of our country, or a lot of our country, think anything goes when it comes to all this stuff. And the real issue is, is we're not trying to please the culture. We have one person to please, Christ. He's preeminent. His message is clear. And that's what we stand on. We're walking with him, rooted and built up in the faith. Jesus first. The body shares a responsibility. Secondly, the body lives in unity. As we think about the, the, the body, the body's to live in a sense of that we're all in this together. Think of the picture of the body. The picture of the body. Now, Think about this. This afternoon, I don't know about what you all do typically. I mean, we eat Sunday lunch, and then for the rest of the day, it's kind of every man and woman for yourself, okay? So we eat lunch together, and then the rest of the day, it's you're, you're on your own. So this afternoon, we'll, we'll have lunch, and then, uh, you know, come around 5 o'clock or so, and I start getting hungry, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I get up, and my head and my Stomachs start to say, you are hungry, you need to go get something to eat. So, my head, my eyes are open, you know, I stand up, my legs are working, my feet are moving, they're standing on the ground. I'm walking toward the refrigerator, I reach out my arm, my hand grips the refrigerator door, I open the refrigerator door, and I look inside the refrigerator. Why? Because my head has sent a message that I'm hungry. So now all my body is getting involved in this process. And I look in there and I think, ah, nothing looks that great. So I close the refrigerator and then I, I walk back. In about 15, 20 minutes, I head back to the refrigerator with lower expectations this time, okay? You know, the first time you go to the refrigerator, there's always a sense of hope. The second time, you just have to lower your expectations. So I walk back to the refrigerator, and I open up the refrigerator. Again, my, my, my eyes are open, my inner ear and my equilibrium. I mean, all of that is at work. My hand reaches out. I grab some salsa that's on the top shelf of the refrigerator, and I think, I wonder how old this stuff is. So I kick the cap off and take a whiff of it, you know, and all right, smells all right. So then I go grab me some chips and I eat the, and so, so this whole process has involved all of my being 
And then, you know, obviously my, my teeth and my tongue are going to get involved as that salsa and chips and, and, and dip. But all through this process, my heart has been beating. My lungs have been taking in air. Blood continues to flow all through my, my veins. The body is living together in a sense of unity to perform an important function. I want some food. All of us have been there at times in our life when we had something that was not functioning right. I remember uh, after I came back from my uh, cancer surgery and I was laying on the couch and uh, Micah was still in school. I'm glad Micah's here today. Good to see you today, Micah. Micah's on staff at Crosshaven, came to see Kayla get baptized today. But uh, my son Micah, I'm laying on the couch and I'll just be honest with you, after my surgery and, and taking my kidney out, I didn't have the strength to get up on my own. So I had to call Micah, Micah, come over here and help me. And so he had to help lift me up and get me on my feet and get going. We, we've all had those moments where, where something wasn't working exactly right. And because of that, somebody had to come alongside. The picture is, is that a well-functioning body is going to listen to the head. So let's think about the picture of the body. Paul gives this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We don't have time really to look there. I just want to share just a a couple of thoughts. Paul says that though we are diverse in our parts, we are all made up of one body. And then he says, you know, some of you make up different parts of the body. And as you make up these different parts of the body, you know, you can't say, oh, well, I'm not an ear. And because I'm not an ear, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to quit being part of the body. Paul says this, as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being many, are one. So that we're different parts in the body, but we all function together. What are we functioning to do? We're functioning to stay connected to Jesus. We're functioning to make Christ preeminent. And we're going to talk more about Jesus' ministry in just a minute. But that picture. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says this. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You have gifts, you have abilities, you're part of the body. And as part of the body, when you're not here and you're not functioning, the rest of the body misses you. Not only do you see the picture of the body, but we see the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. If you look in John chapter 17, verse number 20 and following, Jesus prays just before going to the cross. And as he prays just before going to the cross, his prayer is for believers and it's for unity. He says this, he prays that they all may be one as your father are, as your father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given that they may be one. Just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. There's this picture that we're one, that we're one, that we're one, that we're one. There's this prayer for believers that there is unity. And there is nothing that harms the reputation of a church in the community more than being at a place where there is no unity. And even worse, when they're fighting. The body is here to exalt Christ, stay connected to Christ. We live as one. That's what Jesus' prayer was. That was what Paul's picture is. But then not only does the body 
live in unity and share responsibility, but the body is here to fulfill Jesus' ministry. Notice, it tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Now, before Jesus left to die on the cross, he said, two, or he said one very important thing, and then after his resurrection, he said another. They're called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. As we think about the purpose of our church, this is what we have as our purpose statement or our mission statement. That we at First Baptist St. Charles are to love God, love others, share Jesus, make disciples. Love God, love others, share Jesus, make disciples. Now, where does that come from? Matthew chapter 22, verse number 37, gives us the picture of the great commandment. A scribe who is following the law, and he comes to Jesus, and he, he asks him the question, Jesus, you know, what, what is the most important command? What is the highest priority above all the other things? What is that great command that we all need to be listening to and that we all need to be following? And Jesus tells him in Matthew chapter 22, verse number 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does he say? We are to love God, love God first, and then love others. Love God, love others. I walked into a conversation the other day, and there were some uh, folks talking about what's the greatest sin? And one person, person said, well, if the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others, I guess the greatest sin is when we don't do the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, to love God and love others. You think about it. If I'm loving God, we think about the, in, in reference even of the, the Ten Commandments, those first four commandments that are, that are God-based, that are vertical, I'm going to fulfill them. The next six commands are, are uh, horizontal. They're, they're, they're others-based. And I won't act in any way that's unbecoming if I love God first and I love others. There's the picture. What do we do? We love God. We love others. This is what Jesus says, the greatest command. This is the call of the church. This is fulfilling Jesus' ministry. Loving God, loving others. Then he gives us also, after the resurrection, he gave us the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And therefore, he, because he has all authority and he has risen from the dead and is the only way of salvation, he says this, all authority is given me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is he saying there? He's saying, you need to be about sharing Jesus, baptizing believers, and making disciples. That's what we're to be about. Do you want to have a part in fulfilling Jesus' ministry? What did Jesus do? He came to love God and love others. And he gave his life so that they could be saved and follow him as his disciple. Do you want to have a part in fulfilling Jesus' ministry? That's what the body is to be all 
about. Now, I realize sometimes those of you who come to church on Sunday, you think, you know, what is, what is First Baptist St. Charles really doing as far as, you know, reaching out and impacting people around us? What are, what are they doing? Well, let me just share, I asked Stan just to kind of give me a few snippets of some of the things that we're doing in, in missions. And obviously, we are aligned with the Missouri Baptist Convention, the St. Louis Metro Association, the Southern Baptist Convention. There's all kinds of mission things that are going on there. But we think about our church, partnering with the Church of St. Charles, which is over by Lindenwood University, and, and having a, a partnership church in Haiti that we give about $600 a month to. Why? Because boys and girls in Haiti need a place where they can come and learn and grow and hear the message of Jesus. We've partnered with area churches, Bayless Baptist Church in South County, Faith Community Bible Church in North County, True, True, Vine, or True Life Community Church here in St. Charles, another new church plant over in the Newtown area. We have partnerships across the sea, Temple of Peace in, in Kiev, Ukraine. We have uh, Chip and Karen Holmes, or Chip and Karen, Chip is the pastor at First Baptist Woolsey in at Western Way Cowboy Church. These are, these are partners. Hoena, as many of you know, Darlene Large, has an orphanage that she runs in India. Love packages, we partner with them. They send tons of material to different places throughout the whole world. One of the things that our church just did in January was that... Uh, Sparrow's Nest is a home for unwed mothers. And we had one of our classes adopt them, and a couple of those, of those members completely went in and remade uh, two of the rooms. I was speaking with someone today about that, and they said, man, they love First Baptist Church of St. Charles at Sparrow's Nest. But as this ministry is going, we want to share the message of the gospel. We had... Uh, different volunteers work 90-plus hours on construction in those rooms. We're looking at starting, many of you may know, uh, Chelsea Chastain, who grew up here. She's married now, and Levi and Chelsea, her husband, are getting ready to go to South Sudan. And we're in the process of becoming a mission partner with them as they share Jesus in some very challenging areas. But let me just say one other thing about missions and what's going on as we fulfill Jesus' ministry. A week ago yesterday was just an awesome time for, for me. When Connect uh, passes out food down at the Cube, they have about 60 families every month that, that we provide food and groceries for. That's not counting the hundreds of backpacks that get sent home every Friday with kids who they don't have enough food for the weekend. So our church is busy about packing backpacks on Friday, but then once a a month, we pass out boxes of groceries. Last week was a beautiful picture because we had some of our students there, some of our adults there, some of our senior adults there, everybody working together. Different parts, Different ages, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels. None of that even mattered at that point. What they were, one body, 
ministering together to do one thing, to love God, love others, to share Jesus so that people can come to know him and follow him as a disciple. I don't know where you are in your church life and in your church walk, but for some of you, I would say, the church is a big deal. The New Testament makes it a big deal. The church is big. So if you're not connected, I would challenge you to get connected. Maybe you need to just say, look, I, I, need, to, I need to just sit down with somebody and I, I need to unite here and, and I need to get moving, get doing something. I want to challenge you with that. I realize that through COVID it's crazy and lots of other things. But I just want to challenge you to take the church as seriously as Jesus does. Because he is the head of the body, the church. And we are his body. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for our time. And I ask that, uh, that you just speak to us and drive home the message of the church. That you would be pleased and honored. Jesus, that we would be connected, that you would be exalted as we fulfill our call to love God, love others, share Jesus, and make disciples. In your name we pray.